Amen. What a wonderful theme tonight in our music. We started out with praising Him, and then uh, how can it be if you were reading the words about how we look at God the Creator, and how can it be that He would think of me and then rescue me from sin and shame? And then Brother Nico just sang powerfully, being rescued from hell, being rescued from sin and shame. God is on a mission to deliver His people. And as we look at the message tonight in Isaiah chapter 1, you can have your Bibles turn to Isaiah chapter 1. Even back then, when we see the kingdom of Judah in a very uh, sad place, a very uh, broken place, very sinful place, and God through His prophet, through His man, Isaiah, begins, uh, of course Isaiah is a long book, but begins with a powerful sermon to awaken the people of Judah and to give them a message of hope and deliverance. Of course, you read through the whole prophet of Isaiah, you read through the book, you see that over and over again. But tonight, we will uh, just look at chapter 1 and some, some truths here. And so if you found Isaiah chapter 1, let's start with verse 2, if you would. Let's stand and we'll read the Bible together and we'll read several verses, probably through verse 20. The Bible says, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord hath spoken. I have nourished and brought up, up children, and they have rebelled against me. The ox knoweth his owner, and the ass his master's crib, but Israel doth not know. My people doth not consider. Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked the Holy One of Israel unto anger. They are gone away backward. Why should ye be stricken any more? You will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick and the whole heart faint. From the sole of the foot, even unto the head, there is no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. They have not been closed, neither bound up, neither mollified with ointment. Your country is desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. Your land, strangers devour it in your presence, and it's desolate as overthrown by strangers." And the daughter of Zion is left as a cottage in a vineyard, as a lodge in a garden of cucumbers, as a besieged city. Except the Lord of hosts had left unto us a very small remnant, we should have been as Sodom, we should have been like unto Gomorrah. Hear the word of the Lord, ye rulers of Sodom. Give ear unto the Lord our God, ye people of Gomorrah. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me, saith the Lord? I'm full of the burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed beasts. I delight not in the blood of bullocks, or of lambs, or of he-goats. When you come to appear before me, who hath required this at your hand to tread my courts? Bring no more vain oblations. Incense is an abomination unto me. The new moons and Sabbaths, the calling of assemblies, I cannot away with. It is iniquity, even the solemn meeting. Your new moons and your appointed feast, my soul hateth. They are a trouble unto me. I am weary to bear them. And when you spread forth your hands, I will hide mine eyes from you. Yea, when ye make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Wash you, make you clean, put away the evil of your doings. From before mine eyes, cease to do evil. Learn to do well, seek judgment, relieve the oppressed, judge the fatherless, plead for the, window, for the widow. Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they 
shall be as wool. If ye be willing and obedient, ye shall eat the good of the land. But if ye refuse and rebel, ye shall be devoured with the sword. For the mouth of the Lord had spoken it. Thank you. Please be seated. Lord God, we thank you for the scriptures tonight. Thank you, God, for uh, this prophet Isaiah. Lord, a great man of God, a, a man who loved his country, but above all that, he loved you and, Lord, would preach stirring messages, would point out people's gross sin, but was calling them and wanting them to turn to you. Lord, we see that in chapter 6. I pray, God, that you would help us see, Lord, your broken heart when people turn from you and see that your people, uh, their heart breaks when they see their fellow brethren turn from you and find themselves in sin. Lord, would you speak to our hearts tonight? Show us the wonderful Redeemer and Deliverer that you are. Amen. Prophet Isaiah, what a powerful few verses there. Just the picture that he paints with words of where this people of Judah are. Just by way of some introduction here, I think we many may know about Isaiah, but he not only spoke and preached, but he wrote God's words. We have it here for us today, preserved in our Bibles uh, he wrote in, in, in his book, chapter 8, verse 20, to the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there's no light in them. If they don't speak and preach God's word, if there's not God's testimony coming from their mouths, there's no light in them. And so when we read Isaiah, we know not only because he had visions from God, and we re- probably remember chapter 6 the most, where he saw God on his throne and was humbled and At the end of that moving time, he said, God, send me. I'll go. But he had the light of God in him as a preacher, as a prophet of God. When he saw that vision of God in chapter 6, he wanted to bring his people to God. He was a true patriot, if I could say it that way. He prophesied about what would happen to Jesus When Jesus would perform miracles and no one would believe him. You can read in John chapter 12, Isaiah Isaiah prophesied that, Who hath believed our report? To whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe, because that Isaiah said again, He hath blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, that they could not see with their eyes, nor understand with their heart, and be converted. Then Jesus quotes, I should heal them. Jesus was always after healing the sin-sick soul. Isaiah loved his country, not just Judah, the southern kingdom. He loved Israel. His primary focus was to Judah and the city of Jerusalem. As I said, he was a patriot. His life was dedicated to seeing his country honor God. And his country was not honoring God. In fact, we see it in verse 2. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. We'll talk more about that later. But Isaiah was not a man who was frenzied and hurried. He wasn't ruled by his emotions. He was steady and with tranquility, as much as a prophet can be tranquil. Most of the time, they're very harsh. They're hard. They're pounding. They're wanting people to turn now. Turn now is their message. But he served his country. He hated Sin. He hated the sin of 
his people were. He hated the sin of himself. Remember in chapter 6, he says, Woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. He, he was a man who did not, uh, found, found no joy in what was happening. Even more, he hated the counterfeit religion that we read about in verse 11, where God asked the question, To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me? What are you trying to accomplish in this state that you're in? In verse 4, you see where Isaiah, just in a short paragraph here, or not even a paragraph, just one verse, he says, Look, ah, look, you are a sinful nation. You are laden with iniquity. Your guilt is heavy. You're a seed of evildoers. You're a product of your parents. They were evildoers and so are you. Your children are, are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord. They've provoked the Holy One of Israel. Isaiah knew Jehovah is holy. Israel is not the holy nation. You've provoked God to anger. You've gone away backward. And that is a very strong language there. Gone, gone away backward. He's saying you've gone to profanity. You've turned to adultery. You've turned to prostitution. Get a picture out of verse 4 of this country, this kingdom, God's people. And you read about them in the first five books of the Bible, the great miracles that God performed. The, you read about people like Joshua and Caleb and men like them, that just men of renown, and God used them in a great way. And here we see this nation who God said He wanted them to be a nation of priests, find themselves a sinful nation. Their leaders, their leaders of the kingdom did not look to God. In Isaiah 31, He says, You go down to Egypt for help and stay on horses and trust in chariots because they are many and in horsemen because they are strong. Isaiah says, But they look not to the Holy One of Israel. Neither seek the Lord. Jehovah is holy. Israel is not. Isaiah was calling the nation to repent. He clearly communicated to the hearer and to us today. Look at verse, uh, verse 5. Why should ye be stricken anymore? If I could put it in today's terms... Why should you receive another spanking? You will revolt more and more. Your whole head is sick. The whole heart is faint. From the sole of your foot, from the bottom of your foot to the top of your head, there's no soundness. There's no healthy flesh. If we were to randomly touch the body of a human being and every time we touch it, there was something inflamed. There was a bruise there or an open wound. In fact, they're so, they're so awfully in destitute that he says you're not even binding them up. You're walking around with open boils and festers and bruises. Isaiah is a great, a great writer here. You're not even putting any medicine on them. Israel was a diseased body. He says in verse 21, they are a harlot. 
I really want us to get the picture here of the people. Because I, I believe as Isaiah is writing and preaching, there's tears. This is not Israel, Judah. This is not the way you're supposed to be living. This is not what God wants for you. You have forsaken Him. Now in verse 1 we find where Isaiah probably spanned about 50 years of ministry to, to the Israelites. And again, I'm, 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 I'll probably say it again, but he's focusing on the southern kingdom, even though this would definitely apply to the entire nation. But he's focusing on the southern king. In fact, it says southern kingdom. Um, the vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. So you've got the country, their, their capital city in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Some great kings here. Uzziah, during his reign, probably brought the nation of, of Judah to a place that they had not seen since the days of King David or King Solomon. If you read about him, man, he had machineries of warfare. I mean, just a wonderful, powerful leader. But then if we were to read, just a side note on King Uzziah, if you were to read 2 Chronicles chapter 26, you see where he went into the office of the priest and tried to offer incense, something that only priests would do, and God struck him with leprosy, and he was in a, a home for lepers, and then his son Jotham took over. And it was after that, except for King Hezekiah, most of the leadership led Judah into sinful decay. They were on the downward slope. King Hezekiah was probably the last godly king of Judah. G. Campbell Morgan wrote about Isaiah. He said he spoke to an inattentive age. I think that's us today. Not us in this room. I think this is America. An inattentive age or to an age, if attentive, mocked him and refused to obey his message. This first chapter is simply a sermon denouncing the personal sins of the people. But his message from God is interspersed with hope and words of judgment, God remembers his mercy even when declaring his wrath. Isaiah writes in chapter 25, He will swallow up death in victory, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from off all faces, and the rebuke of his people shall he take away from off all the earth. He will swallow up death in victory. The Lord hath spoken it. God, one commentator said, God brings comfort not to rebellious people, but to repentant people. Amen. Not only was Isaiah a prophet, he was an evangelist. He preached Jesus Christ and the good news of the gospel. He wrote of the birth of Christ, the ministry of John the Baptist. He wrote of Christ's anointing of the Holy Spirit, the nation's rejection of the Messiah, Jesus' ministry to the Gentiles, Jesus' suffering and death, and His resurrection. He wrote of His return and reign as millennial king. He wrote of God's personal message of God's forgiveness. And I love this because many times people, maybe just out of ignorance not knowing, they seem to characterize the God of the Old Testament as the mean and wrathful God. And then we look to the New Testament and we think it's a different God or, a di you know, Jesus is different. He's more, more humble or more, I don't want to say weak, but I'm not sure what people think. But we get a clear picture of God in this chapter and in this book. He is a God who is forgiving. In fact, he's going to turn 
His people to Him. We read verse 18, very familiar, very familiar to us. Come now and let us reason together, together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. He writes in the 44th chapter, I have blotted out as a thick cloud thy transgressions. As a cloud thy sins return unto me, for I have redeemed thee. I am he that blotteth out thy transgressions. Isaiah wrote in 53 of Jesus Christ, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. In the book of Acts, we're reminded that whosoever believeth in him shall receive the remission of sins. Isaiah wrote, Look unto me, and be ye saved. All the ends of the earth. I am God, and there is none else. Hey, he's calling out to the Gentiles. To the ends of the earth, look unto God, and you will be saved. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there's none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. If, we've, if you have not trusted in Christ as your Savior, Today's the day to put full dependence upon Christ. Isaiah's writing an evangelistic message too. So let's look at this, some verses here in chapter 1. Isaiah is coming at this, as I put him as a role of a doctor. You could say he's a role of a lawyer. I, I chose, he's like the doctor. The doctor's in, and, and in verse 2, he invites all earth and all heaven as the doctor, to come in and witness this examination in the examination room. Because he says, hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth. He's calling them to witness what's going to be proclaimed, what's going to be said, what's going to be revealed about Judah. And bear in mind, our sin, man's sin has a great effect on this earth. We remember when Adam and Eve sinned, God had to take animals and cover them. Animals were slain for the first time in the Garden of Eden because of sin. From then on, creation's been affected. It groans. It labors. If I could say this, heaven and earth want us to obey God. Because it hurts. All creation hurts because of sin. And then he makes another statement in verse 3. He says, the ox knoweth his owner, and the ass his master's crib. But Israel doesn't know his people my people don't consider even a simple animal as an ox or a mule knows who feeds them they know who keeps the crib they know who you know takes the straw and makes it all nice and soft for them i know they don't probably lay down but they're cleaning the stalls and they're making it comfortable even a simple animal has enough sense to be faithful and obey god there's not been one animal not one Peace of God's creation, except for us humans who've done what we've done to Him. I always find it interesting that nature never contradicts how God has created them. So in this examination room, He reveals the sickness. The sickness is in uh, verse 2 again, the rebellion of Judah. It's rebellion. The disease of rebellion, the sickness of rebellion, the attitude of rebellion, the actions of rebellion. They've rebelled against me. I've nourished them. 
Parents, many of us know what this is like. In fact, we've probably had these conversations either in our minds or maybe out in the open. After all I've done, this is how I'm repaid. We've ever had those conversations. Let me tell you, no child has ever mistreated their parent the way God's people have mistreated him and sinned against him. In verse 3, this idea of the ox and the ass, he is trying to get them to recognize that they're so sick with rebellion. Even in their minds, they can't even recognize the one who loves them most. In fact, he says they don't even consider. They don't even think about God. As they, solve, as they solve daily problems, as they go about their daily business, God's not even on their mind. Not daily, not weekly. It's an offense. And they're rejecting God at every hand. And in verse 4, I've, I've brought this out in the introduction, but they are gone away backward. Don't raise your hand, but you ever gone through a day, and sadly, Many of us may have, and God's not been on my heart. I've been busy with the task at hand. I've been trying to get the work done that I think needs to be done. I've, I've defaulted into my dependence upon me, and sadly, I get to a place in the day, and I think, my, I haven't even given God a thought today or up until this point. I'm so thankful for His grace and His mercy. He doesn't, doesn't doom me right there. He lets me realize that I'm not, that he's not on my heart. That's him working. And as we look at this sickness, we all know what a health crisis is. We've always poked fun at COVID, but really, this is a true health crisis. If we look at it from the point of rebellion being a sickness, this has affected everyone and everything. Their condition is nigh unto death. As I look at verse 5 and verse 6, I'm hearing these words. Why should you be stricken anymore? You're only going to revolt more and more. It's almost like someone's crying, don't take another blow. You can't handle it. You're going to die if one more blow affects your body. One more sickness, one more sin, it's going to tilt the scales in the other direction and you're not going to be able to repent. You're going to be too far gone. Don't return. Come back. You're going to revolt more and more. Not just the physical head, the way you're thinking is sick. The whole heart is faint. There's no soundness anywhere. Nothing is healthy about you. You're covered, open. You're uncovered, open, and untreated. That's, that's, I, I see that as an individual person. Then he says, look at your country. Look at yourself and look at your country. It's desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. As King, um, King Ahaz, if you read about him, when he ruled, he started to be, as he continued in his reign, he became more and more unfaithful to God, moved further and further away from God. Countries around them were pillaging them, burning their cities with fire. He says, your land, right in front of you, foreigners are taking everything from you. They're eating your crops. They're taking your possessions. And Right in front of you. You're not doing anything. You're overthrown by foreigners. Your country is being affected by your rebellion. And he says, look at your leaders. 
verse 23. Look at the people who are leading your country. They are rebellious. Your princes, your presidents, your kings, your officials, those you've, that are pointed over you. He says not only are they are rebellious, but all of their friends, they're a bunch of thieves. I'll just tell you. I start thinking about America. That's what I start thinking. But I want to be reminded, Isaiah loves his country, but not above his God. He is wanting his people to turn to God. He says, every one of your leaders loves gifts. And all they do, they follow after rewards. They don't judge the fatherless. They don't, they don't judge the, the cases of the widows. What he's trying to say is, your land is so wretched that the people who are weak and need righteousness, they need right judges, they need people making right decisions. Those are exploited, they're weak, they're murdered. You just let it happen. Your government is crooked and rebellious, and it makes God sick. That's what this spurning God has led them to. It probably started in the homes or with a person. And then it just grew into the land. And then as time went on, those that came up begin to rule the land. And then he talks about Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, how has this faithful city become an harlot? It was full of judgment. You could go to Jerusalem, you could find God there. You could find justice there. You could walk the streets and everything you would look would remind you of, man, this is God's chosen place. This is God's, God's here. Not when Isaiah's preaching. He says, righteousness lodged in it, but now murderers. They kill people. Oh, this is sad. Their condition is nigh unto death. Why would you be stricken anymore? He continues to press the examination. He continues to tell them, you're not going to repent. Everyone and everything is rejected. In fact, he compares them to Sodom and Gomorrah. Remember Sodom and Gomorrah? Total annihilation on two cities. The only righteous people there were, that got out were Lot, his wife, and two daughters. The city was annihilated. He's saying, Would it, were it not for the few people, the small remnant, we should have been as Sodom and we should have been like Gomorrah. Then he goes on to verse 11. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me? So as he examines, he's examining their bodies, their land, their government, comparing them to Sodom and Gomorrah. Then he goes to their religious activity. Why are you bringing your multitude of sacrifices and as I read this, I agree with a couple of commentators. I believe they brought the best offerings that were required by the law. They were faithful. The multitude of sacrifices. My son Nathan and I were talking. He thought maybe that they had not worshipped God for so long that they just brought an overabundance, trying to overcompensate for all what they did not do. I said, hey, that could be true. Both applications might work, but it is a lot of sacrifices. God looks and says, I am full of of the burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed beasts. That means they were, 
They were the right kind of animal. I delight not in the blood of bullocks or of lambs or of he goats. When you come and when you come before me, who requires this at your hand to tread my courts? Not walk my courts, not he says tread as if they're on his as if they're trespassing the courts. God has given them the temple. He's given them the courts. He's given them the priest. He's given them all the directions on how to worship him and how to bring all the offerings. They're following the letter. God says, I'm, I'm full. I don't need them. I don't need your sacrifices. I want you. I want your heart. Counterfeit religion is what they were doing. He didn't even hear their prayers. You know, God never tires of the prayers of the righteous. But he will not hear from the wicked. We see here God hated their religious activity. Matthew Henry said, When sinners are under the judgments of God, they will more easily be brought to fly to their devotions than to forsake their sins and reform their lives. Verse 15, Their prayers were empty and hollow and useless. God looked at their hands and said, They're bloody. But as we see this grave condition, and this is, as I was looking at this, man, I was, I was really getting stirred and, and kind of fired up, thinking, man, this is where America's going. Oh, goodness. This is us. This is us. And then I started to think for a minute, and I thought, wait a minute. Dana, you're missing it. You can make the application of the country, but like the Holy Spirit said, Dane, you need to look at yourself and know that without the goodness of God, without Jesus Christ coming and dying for your sins, there's no soundness in you. There's no health in you. Without God's mercy, without God allowing me to exercise faith. You ever looked at someone hanging in the balance between life and death? And you just think, man, there's, 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 if God doesn't intervene, what's going to happen? I need a miracle here. This is Judah. They're, they're, I feel like I'm going to read this. They're just steps away from being totally annihilated like Sodom and Gomorrah. Isaiah does such a great job of casting the picture of where they are as he examines them in the examination room. He says later on in the chapter, he's going to purge the land of rebels. Their sin resulted in corrupt treatment towards each other, especially the weak. But God has a cure. And we start to see that in verse 18. Really, it begins in verse 16. He says, wash you, make you clean, put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do well. Seek judgment. Relieve the oppressed. Judge the fatherless. Plead for the widow. Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. You know, when an honest man is dealt with the right way, when reasoned with, he will humble himself before God. I don't look at verse 16 and 17. I don't think we should as, as reformation as God is saying, you need to do some good works and then, and then come and we'll, we'll reason. Really, he's telling them what they already know to do. They know God's law. 
They've been given the law. They've chosen to do the exact opposite. He's not requiring that they get clean and, and get right so that their hands are clean and their hearts are clean. I mean, he wants them clean, but that's not the prerequisite. He's taking them. He's meeting them where they are. He's reasoning them in their wretched state. Jehovah God offers true and complete cleansing from sin. This verse 18 has the idea that the cloth or the item is immersed in that color. Every fiber, every part of it is soaked and saturated with the color scarlet or crimson. It's a process. That, so when you're done with it, it is completely, totally, not one speck of its original color. That's kind of like Judah. There wasn't one area of their entire nation that looked like God had been there. So were they as this, this wool or this, uh, this item that's scarlet. He says, but I will make you white as snow. We don't know all the processes that God would go through with Judah. If we read the book, we would learn more. But in this chapter, we get a, we get a little bit. In verse 25, he says, I will turn my hand upon thee and purely purge away thy dross and take away all thy tin. It's God that does the work. Amen. We can't, we can't, I mean, we can forgive ourselves in a sense, but our good works can't cleanse the stain our good works can't make it white as wool you can't make enough promises you can't have enough good intentions you can't suffer enough you can't go through enough pain to wash your sins away you know what time doesn't cleanse death doesn't cleanse me or you. The death of Jesus does, but our death, only Jesus, only God can make us white as snow. He delivers us from the power of sin. He delivers us from the shame of sin. He rids us of the guilt of sin. He frees us from the domination of sin. He gives us peace over the terror of sin and relieves us of the pain of sin. I tell you what, there's ever a picture of what sin does to you and I, it's in this chapter. It's, it's, it's in the lives of people we love dearly. And can we say it? They're so blind. I can be so blind. And God's wanting to Deliver and redeem. Spurgeon wrote this. The Lord does not deny the truth of what the sinner has confessed, but he says to him, though your sins be as scarlet, I meet you on that ground. You need not try to diminish the extent of your sin or seek to make it appear to be less than what it really is. No, whatever you say it is, it's all that and probably far more. Your deepest sense of sinfulness does not come up to the truth concerning your real condition. You do not exaggerate it in the least. Your sins are scarlet and crimson. It seems as though you've put on the imperial robe of sin and made yourself a monarch of the realm of evil. This is how a man's guilt appears before the searching eye of God. 
You may be a wicked old wretch who's taken his degrees in Satan's college, has become a master of Belial, a prince and a chief of sinners, a Goliath among the Philistines. Yet to such a man is this word sent today. Your hands are bloody with the souls of the young. You've kept a hell house. You have grit. Up. <laughs> You've, I'm sorry, I, old English. <laughs> You've stirred up public entertainments and have debauched and depraved the young. You have gold in your pockets. You've earned from the blood of souls, the fool's pence and the drunkard's shillings, which have really come into your hands from the hearts of poor women. You've heard the cries of the starving children. You've tempted men with drink. You've ruined their bodies and their souls. You've kept a place where the entertainment was so low, so groveling, that you awoke the slumbering passions of evil in the minds of either young or old. And you shall sink to hell with the blood of others on your head, as well as your own damnation. No, not with just one millstone about your neck, but with many. But you can still be made white as snow. You see, when God offers the cure of this disease of rebellion, you and I have a choice. And he tells us here in verse 19. If you're willing and if you're obedient, you will eat the good of the land. Amen. I just say that's a miracle. We just read their land was desolate. It was burned. It was ravaged by foreigners. There was nothing good to eat in the land. But God promised, if you're willing and obedient to me, God, ye shall eat the good of the land. I believe that's the land they would go to later. I also believe that right there as he's chastising them with the Babylonian captivity, He's going to provide for their every need. Even during God's chastisement, His love is evident. He's going to provide for you. There's hope even while God corrects us. We can find relief from the emptiness and from the counterfeit religion. Your sins, they can be cleansed. God says, surrender to me. Be willingly obedient to me. And you'll eat the good of the land. And lastly, but if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured with the sword, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. He will restore the righteousness to the land. He will give us good judges and good counselors and right leadership. That city of Zion that used to be the place of righteousness, it will be again. The faithful city. Zion will be redeemed with judgment and her converts with righteousness. As God says, come now, let us reason together. If you will, let's stand together for a moment of invitation. And I know there was no specific call here. If we would just give God the opportunity to deal with us and for us to respond to Him, maybe it's just simply, God, thank you for cleansing me of my sins. Praise Him at this altar for sending His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who was smitten, who was beaten, worse, who took our sins for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him.